Welcome back to The Casual Martial Artist. And I am Al, and with me is Marcus. And now, Marcus, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't you train in a super exclusive style of jiu-jitsu that was developed by a renegade member of the Gracie family, and it was designed specifically to counteract Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and he was kicked out of the family for that, and then you went to seven different countries where you studied eight different forms of kickboxing and achieved mastery in 12 different martial arts. Is that correct? Uh, it's half correct. It's about half of what I have. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> yes. Okay. So, uh, okay. So I, I miscalculated the number of black belts you actually really have, correct? Right, right. Uh, but despite those accomplishments, I, I, I'm sorry, you're my friend and all, but that's nowhere near as impressive as the 42nd degree black belt I have in fiery meteorite moon dragon wing wing kung karate jujitsu ka. Well, you must teach me your ways. I will right after we're done recording. I will come down there and I too will teach you the ways of a fiery moon fiery meteorite moon dragon uh, wing kung karate jujitsu ka. I will expect it to totally reform my style and my outlook. And it will, and not only that, and for only $120, you too can buy my 90-minute VHS tape. Okay, that's a different topic. So, <laughs> but, <laughs> okay, so uh, as you've uh, probably guessed, and we've, we've kind of hinted at it this in our last episode where we talked about choosing a school and a style as well as a little bit in our first episode, today we're going to talk about three things that are sometimes used interchangeably. McDojo, Black Belt Factory, and Bullshito. So let's start by defining, um, you know, you know, by defining those terms. Now, do you personally use those terms interchangeably, or do you see a difference between the three? Mm. Um, Black Belt Factory and McDojo can be, and I usually think of them as synonymous, but I think of more McDojo. It's a Black Belt Factory that has a, a lot of. It's a big chain. Whereas you can have a black belt factory that has only one physical location or maybe two, whereas the one I belong to had, I'd say, almost 10 different school, uh, satellite schools belonging to the chain. Okay, and so we're pretty much on agreement there. Uh, the way I would always deter differentiate the two, I usually see McDojo as a heavily commercialized school, mm -hmm. um, but I wouldn't necessarily consider a McDojo, which can be a chain school, usually they are. I wouldn't necessarily consider it the same thing as a black belt factory. The way mm. I've always defined black belt factory is a school where the focus is on how many black belts they can turn out as opposed to whether those black belts are actually good martial artists. Right. So, I, again, this is just my opinion, but I think they normally do go together but mm -hmm. I think it is possible for McDojo's to produce competent martial artists. Mm -hmm. And again, as, as you were saying too, a black belt factory doesn't have to be part of a chain. It can easily right. be, you know, some guy who teaches, uh, you know, Kung Fu down the street. And, right. you know, it happens that out of the 300 students he's trained, you know, 250 of them made it to black belts. So right. now the third term, Bullshito. Uh, how do you define Bullshito? How do I? I define it as um, 
more woo-woo than martial arts. Um, like I, we were talking the other week about Tai Chi. I mean, I like a little woo-woo with some of my arts, you know, but not making these outrageous and outlandish claims about the effectiveness of something, you know. Um, basically, so when you some say, people... Oh, so when you say woo-woo, um, is that just like... Uh, how would you define woo-woo? Because I know you used that a few times in our last episode. Yeah. Well, when I say with Tai Chi, it's all the um, the things about that Taoism teaches and um, Chinese medicine that go with it. Now, for for our purposes, it would be things like like the death touch or uh, mm -hmm. the iron palm or or you know things like that. Things of the movies, things that you know you and I know aren't applicable in real life. Yeah, and that's how I would define it too. Usually, uh, bullshito is the lowest of the three, right? Where you know a bullshito is when someone's teaching, you know, the magic type martial arts, you know, the no touch knockouts, the you know the right. death touch, uh, you know, using your chi energy to you know block attacks. Which again, you go to YouTube, you'll you know you can look up those videos. There's quite a number of them out there. Mm -hmm. And I think the reason I would rank this as the worst of those three uh, is because they can people can actually get hurt uh, mm -hmm. because you get these people who, you know, again, they they think that they're learning effective, legitimate martial arts techniques. And then if the day comes when they actually have to use them, they get their ass handed to them. Right. Uh, there's... Excuse me. Oh, go ahead. No, I said there's even another subform of bullshito when uh, the person advertising actually does know a couple of effective things, but advertises over his skill level or um, you know isn't very didn't well, learn it well himself the first time. So when consequently when they teach, they you know they pass on the mistakes they let themselves learn onto their students, unsuspecting students actually. Yeah, and uh, like one one video I've seen. Have are you have you ever heard of yellow bamboo? No. It's one of those touchless martial arts and I think it's in Australia. But mm -hmm. uh, you know, they had these you know, these people, they would, you know, they'd get in this like horse stance and be like, you know, and then someone would charge at them and you know, they'd knock them wow. out with their chi. But the problem with these no touch knockout systems, they never stand up to scientific scrutiny. They right. had this one guy who was willing to take on, you know, the challenge and you know he ended up of course charging into the guy taking him down and getting him in a rear chokehold right um and there was also another one where again the you know they would do their little chi thing and the supposed attacker would fall to the ground and start shaking while there was this one where this guy ran into a woman that was a bit smaller than him you know and of course she falls on the ground in pain and you know they're checking up on her and the guy at first he's like checking up on her and then he all of a sudden falls down on the ground and starts doing like seizure movements you know kind of like oh wait a second i was supposed to fall down and i didn't and there's a camera rolling i should probably do this to make it look like maybe it was a delayed effect wow so kind of reminds me of pro wrestling bloopers <laughs> oh yeah so like uh there were some yeah just uh, of course we know that's you know, different because it's, uh, you know, the choreograph. But I, I are you thinking of, like, Ric Flair? Because I know he used to do some of that stuff. Right, but there's a couple of bloopers I've seen where a guy missed his... Uh, oh, botches. You know. Okay, yeah, now we know right, what you're botches. talking about. Right, okay. botches, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the... In, I've had friends who've been, who are wrestlers in, like, local, uh, you know, local circuits, and botch is the, the term that they use. Uh, 
you know, which some of them, again, they can be very dangerous. The one that right. usually comes to mind for me, well, there was what happened with Owen Hart, though I right. don't know if you'd consider that a botch because it was just a problem with the harness. Um, I'm referring to a match I saw a preview of, uh, um, TNA, I think it was, I don't even know if that exists anymore, but the gentleman was going to slam his opponent's head against the ring post and he slipped off the back of his neck, but the guy still <laughs> took himself to the oh. ring post, slammed his own head off of it. Okay. I see. So it's like, it well, really yeah, bad. yeah. Okay. So not accidental, just, well, accidental, but it's not like botches where someone actually got hurt from them. No. No, yeah. this is just what reminded me of the chill chi thing that you were describing before. Yeah. When rolling around when they weren't even They weren't even hit. <laughs> right. And well another example, uh, again, probably one of the more well known botches in pro wrestling. Um this was I think in like the late nineties or maybe early two thousands, but uh Boz something. I forgot the guy's name, but um he was wrestling D'Lo Brown and he you know, D'Lo Brown was gonna be doing like a power bomb on him. And he got slipped and he ended up breaking the guy's neck and he, mm-hmm. he became paralyzed. Okay, I can't I can't remember the guy's name. I know it's like if I heard it Darren Draznoff, wasn't it? Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Draz yeah, Draz, not Boz. Mm-hmm. That's Boz is the football player. But yeah, Draz. So mm-hmm. but so going back to martial arts, so there were a couple of uh now of course you go out and look on the internet, you'll find lots of articles and videos where people talk about recognizing a black belt factory now there were a couple that we both looked at for this particular episode uh one of them if you look up karate by jesse a gentleman by the name of jesse n camp he does i forgot the name of the style but uh style of karate uh he also goes by the name the karate nerd and from what i've read of his blog seems like a very nice down-to-earth guy and he had an article you know, 93 warning signs that your dojo is a McDojo. And another one, uh, a YouTube channel I watch occasionally, Art of One Dojo. Uh, he had one about how to tell if your, you know, your your dojo is a McDojo or a black belt factory. So what did you think of the article and the, the video? Did you see that they were, do you think they were fairly accurate to your experiences? Fairly accurate. There was just one or two things of each that I took issue with, but, you know, minor quibbles, nothing really major. Yeah, and to be fair, both of them did stress uh, in the Karate by Jesse blog, it was at the end, and uh, the host of Art of One Dojo mentioned it right in the beginning. He's like, okay, again, these are just guidelines. A Karate Dojo might have several of these uh, signs, but that doesn't instantly mean it's a McDojo, Mm -hmm. Um, specifically when... Like one of the things that people used to describe a McDojo, it's a place where they do a lot of classes for children. You know, both uh, Mr. Dan and Jesse uh, did stress that, you know, if you are going to enter teaching martial arts as a profession, you do have to find ways to bring in, you know, more revenue. And usually teaching children's classes and, you know, doing those family type classes, it's just something they have to do sometimes to bring in money to keep the lights on and keep the doors open. Right. So what are some things that you would use for recognizing a McDojo? So again, this this episode is going to kind of play on our last one where we were discussing choosing a school. So some of this stuff is going to be, um, some of this stuff is going to call back to that other episode, but what's one of the biggest red flags for you 
when determining if a school is a black belt factory or McDojo? I think when they were talking about um, how nobody fails any of their tests, that was a big one for me because the school Taekwondo school I attended, no one ever failed. I can't remember anyone failing a test. Yeah, that's, that's yeah, that's a good point. Um, and again, I think it's really a mark of a good school if or a good instructor if they don't have a ton of black belts. Because uh, mm-hmm. my kung fu instructor, you know, he said that he figures over the years he's had a you know five six hundred students, and he figures maybe only about six or seven of them actually got to black belt level. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm sure there's a lot of reasons of it. Part of it is, uh, you know, just teaching in a college town. You know, you'd get a lot of college students, and eventually they move on, and then just you know, of course, people sometimes get too busy and other things. Uh, take over or maybe they have to move but uh, my Kung Nu instructor once was saying that you know people used to ask well how long did it take you to get your black belt now it's more how many times did you fail before you got your black belt right right. Um, which I don't know do you think a high failure rate is a good thing or a bad thing with uh, a martial arts style um depends on how you define failure um I'll just use the example of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. They don't promote you until they think you're ready. There's no real test. I mean, there can be. I've seen some schools that now have implemented tests, but when it first came to this country, a lot of it was they, they, you know, just hand you your new belt when the the time came because they had their own criteria for how good you were going to be. And you knew, you know, it took you almost 10 years to get to black belt level to be that good. And a lot of people never got there. I know I never even got close. So... Yeah, and what my Kung Nu instructor was saying is that, or this is why I think it's good that Kung Nu, uh, they are strict like that, is because they want. I think they want to make sure that, you know, if you're promoting someone to a black belt and they're expected to teach other people, you want to make sure they know their stuff. Right. You know, they're not, you know, it's not just knowing how to punch and kick. It's knowing, you know, other things like, you know, the tactics and mm-hmm. strategies and... Uh, you know, other things other than just the, the, the physical technique. Right. Um, so that's a good one. And I have to say one thing that always is a red flag for me, long-term contracts. Because usually what they do when, you know, is they want to hook you in. And usually there's no refunds. Mm-hmm. Uh, one friend of mine in college, um, he, well, he was, he didn't go to Oshkosh with us. But um, unfortunately, I lost track of him at, I, lost contact with him many years ago, but he was a friend of mine in middle school, high school, Mm -hmm. and we kept in contact through college. He was telling me about he was going to uh, the, this was in the Milwaukee area. He was signing up for karate classes at, I I think it was called like Team Rufus. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, they made him sign this contract where you had to, uh, you know, you had to pay up front. And then, I mean, granted that would, you know, the, the fees would hold you for, you know, a while, but still the fact that, I mean, as you know, let's say that after a couple months, you decide it's not for you or just because of life, you have to move away or maybe, you know, you break your leg or break your arm and you have to take a couple months off. Again, right. there was no refunds. So you were pretty much out that money. Yeah, I got burnt um, signing up for red belt classes up at that which is the level before black belt in taekwondo at least was in my day 
and ended up losing all the money. So yeah, I can tell you a little something about that. Yeah. And uh, another one is how you need to pay for merchandise in order to advance. Um, now at testing fees, I don't necessarily think they're entirely a bad thing because I've, you know, I've been to Kung Nu. There's no testing fees in that. Uh, when I did Tang Sudo, you know, it was all, you know, it's all uh, paid for for the year. So any testing fees would be included mm-hmm. in there. But I think for Kung Fu, American Freestyle Karate, well, actually, no, I think American Freestyle Karate didn't have the testing fees. Mm-hmm. Or maybe they did. I, I don't remember. Um, and for a scream on Kung Fu, there were testing fees, but they were very minimal. It's not like, okay, you have to pay $50 to test for your next belt. It was like five bucks or something. It wasn't that right. that expensive. But then again, in a scream of the system I studied, for your rank, you had this necklace you wore. And then, uh, you know, so it paid for that. And then uh, Kung Fu, he used to use, like, T-shirts for the ranking. Right. So, again, it's it's not like, okay, you pay him the money and then, you know, hey, at the end of the test, you're now whatever your next level is. You also get right. something that designates that as well. Well, in the school I belong to, there was, you know, so many belts in the art and also stripes for the next belt. And each one of the belts and stripes you had to pay a separate testing fee for. So kind of added up. Yeah, I had the same experience when I was at the place that did American Freestyle Karate because mm-hmm. you had your belt and then there were two or three stripes per belt. I think for like a couple of the lower ranks, it was only two stripes, but then you moved into three stripes. But then they had half belts where... I think it went like white, orange, orange, yellow, yellow. Um, Then like, I think I got to like blue, purple belt in that style. So again, and it was all, and the reason that, and this one made me really uh, determine that I shouldn't really leave, you know, stay at that school is because I really couldn't tell you how much I really learned between the belts Right. Because, uh, I, I mean, granted, I already had a few years of martial arts under my belt when I came to that school. So it's not like I was starting from scratch. But still, you'd think that even if, you know, you are getting these belts, you should feel like you're learning something. And, right. Um, aside from, well, once we got to the point where the we started, they started to integrate some of the jujitsu that's about all I really felt I learned in there was some basic ground fighting and some basic jujitsu. Other than that, mm-hmm. I just didn't feel like I really learned anything. And I'm like, right. why am I spending this like 75, 85 a month when, okay, yeah, I'm getting exercise and I met some cool, some cool people, but I don't feel like I'm growing much as a martial artist. Right. And that was exactly my experience at the Taekwondo school. Yeah, the so that would definitely be a warning flag for me is, yeah, if they're like, okay, if you see their ranking system and there's half belts and you have to get, like, three stripes to advance to the next belt, yeah, that's that's a warning flag on my in my opinion, too. Right. Uh, another one that both the Karate by Jesse article and the Art of One Dojo video, they talked about young black belts. So... And again, this might be a topic that we could go into in greater detail, but um, I mean, there's a question of, okay, should, you know, someone who's like 10 or 11 years old, should they be eligible for an adult-based black belt? Um, 
You see, I'm on the fence about that because uh, on the one hand, at my again, the Taekwondo school I went to, there were seven-year-old black belts, believe it or not, and they were kind of propped up and used as marketing tools, you know, for both parents and the kids that were attending the classes. And so that on that, based on that, I would say, no, you shouldn't, you know, until a little bit older be awarded a black belt. But um, also coming from the boxing tradition, I've seen kids that would go in and were pretty good and had some skills. So I'm on the fence about that. I, I don't really have an opinion. I, I, I would err on the side of caution and say no. <laughs> yeah, because what I think Kung Nu does and the place I did American Freestyle Karate they had separate programs for the adults and the youth. I think about 11, 12 years old was a cutoff from where someone could transition from the youth program to the, uh, you know, the adult and teen program. So again, mm -hmm. if there's like separate programs for each of those, I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. Right. Because like I said, you're going to hold, you know, those younger, you know, those younger martial artists to a different standard than the, you know, the adults. Right. But I think, again, you have to, as you were saying with the boxing, you do have to take it on a case-by-case -case basis. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a young guy at uh, the place I do Kung Nu at. Uh, I think he's like 12. But, he, again, he is, he's good. And, mm -hmm. you know, the my instructor was saying that even the Grandmaster, because they, uh, I don't remember how long ago it was, but they went to Kung Nu. They've got these regional events they do. Right. And the Grandmaster was at one of them. And he was saying that, you know, he was impressed with the, you know, this, the skill that this kid had. Right. And I was too, when I first met him, because when I first met him, I think he was about 11, but with just the discipline and, conf and uh, confidence he carried himself with, I thought he was probably a little bit older. I mean, I would have guessed 13 or 14. So wow. like I said, I think it's a case by case basis, but yeah, if you've got third degree black belts that are 10 years old that might be a little bit of a red flag. <laughs> right. So another one, and from what I understand, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu doesn't have this problem, but another one of the red flags that both Karate by Jesse and uh, Art of One Dojo stressed was, does the instructor spar with or engage the students? Right. And like I said, just from what I understand with Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, that's, that's not a concern for you guys there because your instructor, he'll be happy to get on that mat and uh, throw down with you, right? Right. Tear you to pieces. I've been there. Um, that one, I agree with. But when you get to be a certain age, like me, um, if I were just to show somebody uh, some moves like I have, I wouldn't be doing much sparring with them because, you know, I haven't trained in a long time. My cardio is nothing, but I can still show you some techniques and combinations, but I'm not going to, you know, unless I have a couple of weeks to get back into shape, I'm not going to, you know, get down with you. But so there again, I'm kind of on the fence because, you know, and then you get some cat that's too old to spar anymore, but he still has a couple of good moves to show you. I don't see anything wrong with that, but if you get someone young and they were claiming all these accomplishments and, uh, then they still don't want to spar with you. Yeah, that's a red flag. Yeah, but I think, again... Mm -hmm. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, I just think there's some exceptions. Yeah, and isn't the uh, founder of Gracie Jiu-Jitsu still, still alive and still active? No, he died a few years ago, but yeah, oh, he was still sparring up until I think he got to live to be about 91 or 92, and he was still sparring almost to the very end, so... 
yeah, that's what I heard about him. I said I wasn't, I didn't know he died, but yeah, I know he, uh, you know, he still remained active until you know in the, that age. And but I said if I'm still alive at that age and practicing martial arts, I'll be, <laughs> I'll be happy. Right. right. <laughs> so, and again, I've usually haven't had that much problem. Uh, the place I did when I did Tang Sudo. So we didn't do a lot of sparring in there, mm-hmm. and usually the only people I sparred against were some of the people at my level or like a rank or two higher. Right. Uh, the instructor there never sparred with him. Um, the when I was in a screamo when we did do sparring with padded sticks or empty-handed stuff, yeah, I sparred with my instructors there. Didn't do as much of it in kung fu. Uh, American freestyle karate. Again, the instructor there never. I never saw him spar anyone. But yeah, mm-hmm. Kung knew my instructors. You know, we we get out there and we spar. So. Right. And again, this reminds me again of Muay Thai. Um, you'd think that they'd be sparring all the time, but they don't. Um, they do mostly pad work, and the reason is because they're fighting every two weeks, sometimes even once a week. And you know, if they hurt themselves during sparring, they can't make any money. But because I've never seen in Thailand, at least I've never seen you know the clips I've seen training and people I've talked to from Thailand who train. I've never seen them talk about going full contact, you know, in preparation for a fight. So, yeah. Another big one, and I think we touched on this a little bit, but guaranteed black belt. So if you right. see a sign that says guaranteed black belt, especially if it's in within two years, uh, turn around, go down to the YMCA because you'll get a better, probably get a better martial arts education there uh, than you would at a place like that. Right. Because, um, you know, because, again, it goes what we were saying before is if you've got a school where no one ever fails tests and they're guaranteeing that you're going to pass, well, there's no incentive then to really learn the material if there's not that possibility of failure. Right. Or show your level of mastery of the material. Another one uh, discourages cross-training. And this is another one where, again, I don't necessarily, this is one of the things where I think it's certainly cautionary, but I don't think it's going to necessarily mean that it's a, that it's a, you know, a black belt factory. Because uh, when I was in Tang Sudo, uh, my instructor, and I think I mentioned this in our first episode, my instructor found out that I was doing, you know, a screamer as well. Mm-hmm. And he asked, you know, he's like, you know, he said, okay, I'll let you finish the year. But, you know, if you come back next year, you got to choose one or the other. And his rationale, he said, was because they do stick stuff at higher levels. Now, I'm not sure why, you know, they tanks it, oh, they didn't allow it. And I don't know, maybe it's changed. But like I said, I would not consider the Oshkosh Karate Club, at least when I was in it, I would not have considered that a black belt factory. Right. Um, Because, yeah, it was good training. Well, then again, this was when I was first starting, so anything seemed like good training for me. Right. But I think that if you did get into one where they are, you know, they don't want you doing anything else, that I think could be a caution, you know, a right. yellow flag. Not necessarily a red flag, but a yellow flag. Okay, now this is where I say this is one of the higher levels of Bullshito. Um, yeah, there may be a good school, but I don't think the motivations are pure for, uh, you know, telling you not to cross-train and stick training. I think so you, they either didn't want you to, excuse me. No, go ahead. Yeah, they didn't either. Didn't want you to be at a higher level than some of the instructors themselves, or they wanted to make sure that you know you weren't spending your money elsewhere. You know, yeah, that's true. All the money there. Mm-hmm. 
yep, uh, give me all your money. So yeah, right. that I, you know, I can certainly understand that. And um, another one that, and again, we discussed this a little bit the last episode. Not much info on the head instructor's background, which, again, if you got someone who's who's now, I guess it, it really depends on the level they're representing themselves at. If they're just claiming to be a black belt in something, or maybe not a black belt, but you know, like a, a belt or two below, then I can see maybe just kind of that you'd have to really see the classes and see how the instructor carries himself and what he's teaching. So that on its own, I don't necessarily think is a red flag, but when you've got someone who is claiming to be, you know, a, a multi-degree black belt, you know, with the second or third or fourth, in a situation like that, you, you know, there should be some documentation saying, okay, this is where the person trained, this is the organization they trained with, and Again, some proof that they did achieve that level of, you know, that level of advanced rank. Exactly. And this may, might be a little bit more into the Bullshito category, but if someone, a martial arts instructor does give his background, and if it sounds like it could be the background for a character from an action movie, you know, like they've, you know, they studied, you know, martial arts in 12 different countries, and they've got you know, black belts in, you know, Check. seven different, yes, Jack Fu. <laughs> if they've got martial arts in seven different, you know, they have black belts in seven different martial arts and, you know, the, or if you start getting into Fred Duke's territory where he starts right. claiming that, you know, he had body doubles while he would, and he was, you know, that would take his place for him in the military while he went off to fight in these secret Kumantes. That would definitely be, again, one of those signs you might want to rethink whether you want to study there or not. The only people I would have trusted who made the claims about studying so many martial arts like that were the old-style Jeet Kune Do people, um, because I knew what they were all about, you know. But since my philosophy on the arts has changed, you know, I wouldn't – that wouldn't be, you know, the avenue I pursue anyway either. But, um, yeah, they're about the only ones. Yeah, and, and again, I know it's approaching your instructor's background or, you know, questioning their credentials. I can see how in some places that would be a serious faux pas. Mm -hmm. So it's one of those things that I think is delicate, which is why it, it can be beneficial if you do study a martial art where there is this overlying, you know, organization that, you know, kind of oversees the art. Because right. that way you do have that reference to go to. Um, where you can see if, you know, said person, you know, really is a 75th degree black belt in judo who, you know, who's part of the, I don't know, American Judo Fighters Association, whatever. I'm just making that up. Right. No, that can also be um, more sophisticatedly done because a guy can claim that he trained with such and such well. Maybe he went to a seminar and saw the guy, like, for 10 seconds, just showed him a technique. Go, oh, yeah, I trained with him. So, you know, they, it's one more thing they put on the resume to bring in unsuspecting customers. Yeah, you know, I never thought about that. As I said, back when I first started in Tang Sudo, we did go to a regional uh, Tang Sudo uh, seminar, and there were some masters there. Mm -hmm. And there was one that did train teach a seminar I was that I, I was in about pressure points and ways that you can use like a pen or a pencil as a self-defense tool. Right. So 
I, I technically I could say I trained under a tank pseudo master. Exactly. You know, or like I said, I there were a couple of times where I met um, Suro Mike and I, so I can technically say I trained under. <laughs> yeah, right. I. But no, and that's why once sparred with a UFC fi- a future UFC fighter, and so you know, did does, does that count for anything? I can say that, but it doesn't really mean anything. Well, I guess that depends. Did you kick his butt or did he kick your butt? Uh, we, I got tapped with a gi on. I didn't get tapped by him with no gi. So, and, but again, that was 20 years ago when he was a green like me, you know, yeah, <laughs> I'm sure would rip me a new one nowadays. Yeah. I say it could depend. If you were able to beat him soundly, then yes, that would be something. But, um, you know, since you said, it seems it's kind of like one in one where, yeah, he got you once, but you got him once. I guess we got to kind of, uh, uh, balance that out there. So <laughs> we'll call it a draw call it a draw yeah another one young masters and grandmasters and again this is one that both the uh karate by jesse and uh, art of one dojo stressed you know if you've got someone who well let's say they are giving you their you know their martial arts background and it does sound like you know a, a character from a steven seagal movie and you know they've got black belts in three different martial arts but they're only 27 years old and they're a grandmaster right yeah that's never met anyone like that but right the only way i would trust anything even close to that was say you know a very rare situation that almost doesn't count say if they were the child of a recognized master or grandmaster and they'd been taught the art since before they could walk well maybe but that's pretty rare yeah i I think probably the number of people you're going to find that would fit that are probably pretty slim and i mean even when the time i met mike and i's son jason uh as far as i know he wasn't proclaiming himself a grandmaster or anything like that so like i said one of those things he probably guess got to judge on a case-by-case basis right and his humbleness probably made you trust him that much more yeah that's true another one that this one they brought up actually i think both sources brought this up if the instructor dates his students or is romantically involved in that with them what's your opinion on that Difficult to say because I met people who met each other in martial arts and ended up getting married, staying married for a long time. So it's 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 definitely weird and iffy, and um, you know, it's not something I really would ever worry about because I'm married. But and it's a really gray area. You know, it depends on the I guess what I call the sleaze factor. You know, if you come in there and he's dating a different student every month or something like that, then yeah. But you know, you can't fall, stop two people from falling for each other. Yeah, I, I agree. It is one of those gray areas, but yeah, if everyone that the the sensei dates uh, ends up getting a black belt, and you know, within a few months, yeah, that's that's kind of sketchy, I think. But right. so, well, do you have any other thoughts on, uh, or do you have any ex- other experiences you'd like to share with uh, your experiences in a black belt factory? Because. Like I said, I, I, I know I shared my main ones. Um, there was a black belt club, which you paid an extra $10 a month, but you got to go to an extra class. Uh, you also got this nifty black stripe on your belt. Um, hmm. Oh, yes, another one that they mentioned, and again, I think we touched on this in the uh, last episode, is are there lots and lots of trophies in the studio? Right. Uh, again, Karate by Jesse said there's so many trophies that every time you go in a different direction for your kata, you're stepping on them. Right. And I don't necessarily think I would agree as to whether that is considered a black belt factory or not, because some schools 
for whatever reason, do like to compete in a lot of tournaments. And if someone happens to be really good at training people on how to fight in karate tournaments or judo or jujitsu tournaments, I don't necessarily think that would qualify them as a McDojo. I agree somewhat, but then based on my experience at the Taekwondo school, the quality of competition at, at these tournaments wasn't very high. So you could have all these first place tournament or trophies, but you know, who'd you beat to get it? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so I guess the only thing I would add, and I'm not going to say too much about this because this is going to lead into another separate show that we're going to do someday was um, about the amount of forms that are done, which we use the generic Japanese term kata for this, for this purpose. But for what I would want to learn from a martial arts school, the, the amount they train in kata would make be a big factor for me. Okay, so if you think that a place does train a lot in kata or forms, do you think that's a, a red flag or is it something where, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean black belt factory, you think it's something that's desirable? Uh, for me, it's red flag. But you and I, that's probably the only place when we do that show that you and I are going to disagree with. Yeah. And again, just because uh, I said, I know we are going to be discussing this at a later date. But mm-hmm. I, I mean, I guess for me, it really depends on how they're training the forms. Right. Because I think, and again, without going too much into the subject, I think that it's possible to tr- teach forms correctly and there's an incorrect way to teach them or there's right. good and there are bad ways to teach them. So, uh, and again, without going too much into the topic, I think it's one of those things you have to really judge by other factors. Um, and again, Karate by Jesse, they mentioned that like if they don't show you applications for the techniques, that would be a serious red flag in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But if they're saying, okay, here's a form Now, here's the meaning behind the movements. Here's how you can use this in an actual fight. Then that's, again, I wouldn't put that as a red flag because Mm -hmm. they're trying to say, okay, here's this movement, this technique. Here's how you could use it in a practical setting. Mm -hmm. One of the ones that I disagreed with was um, he talked about the quality of sparring equipment. Now, the only reason I disagree on that is because there's some tournaments, and I'm thinking – Olympic style Taekwondo and point karate where they're not going, the competition itself isn't hundred percent full contact. So they've got that foam dipped equipment that they use sometimes. So that's, to me, that doesn't really say a whole lot, you know, and then you can get, have somebody who's got a $200 pair of boxing gloves and, you know, they get knocked out in the first few seconds. So they, <laughs> the equipment doesn't mean a lot. That's true. It's the, it's the per it's the fist under the glove that makes a difference, not the exactly. glove itself, but Well, another thing you did mention, which, again, I kind of, I I don't necessarily think I'm going to agree with this, but Mm -hmm. uh, in the Karate by Jesse article, they mentioned that, and again, just to go reiterate, he did say just because a school has one or more, you know, has several of these factors doesn't instantly mean they're a karate school or they're a black belt karate school. No, Uh, just, you know, a school can have. Yeah, I mean, it's a, if it's a jujitsu place, they're probably not a karate school. But anyways, <laughs> uh, sidetrack there. But again, he was saying that just because a, a place has some of these these signs doesn't necessarily mean it's a a McDojo or that you should you're not going to get a decent uh, martial arts training there. But he mentioned right. like the instructors have decals for the studio on their cars, and that or they do like recruitment events. 
I can kind of give that one a pass because if you are trying to run a martial arts school as your primary source of income, you need to promote yourself. You need to market it, exactly. Exactly, because the, like I said, the guy I did the American Freestyle Karate under, only instructor I've ever had that actually did it as his full-time job, right. at least as far as I know. All the other pe um, people I studied karate under, or martial arts under, they all, this was just like a side hobby they did, they all had jobs doing something else. Right. But yeah, like I said, I wouldn't necessarily think that uh, is a red flag. And again, the uh, Art of One Dojo mentioned that, you know, okay, just because they sell t-shirts with the school logo on it, while it might be a flag, it's not necessarily a warning sign because some schools in the summer will let your, their students wear, you know, t-shirts. And plus it is kind of a nice little way to market the school, you know, right? just because uh, when I, back at Oshkosh, uh, sometimes you know, I did get an Oshkosh Karate Club t-shirt and, you know, sometimes when I would walk around campus, I saw someone, hey, I, what's that shirt? Is that, you know, a club on campus? And, you know, so it can be good advertising <laughs> for the school. Exactly. So, well, any final thoughts on McDojo's, Black Belt Factories, and Bullshito? Just buyer beware and know that there's all kinds of levels of Bullshito and know that, you know, if you have money, there's always somebody willing to take it from you. So, so. <laughs> that is true. And and again, the just keep it again, reiterate, just to stress the fact that, you know, the stuff that I'll try to remember to post the links in the article in the uh, notes to the Karate by Jesse article and the Art of One Dojo episode. But again, they did stress that, you know, a couple of these aren't necessarily warning signs. But they are some, there's something you do have to, you know, keep in mind. And again, right. uh, take our advice from the last episode. See if you can observe a class or two. Uh, if they have a free trial, you know, take advantage of that because that'll let you get a better feel for the school. There is one thing that Karate by Jesse did mention, and uh, that could be a possible sign. And that is they offer classes in cardio kickboxing or cardio martial arts. Does that necessarily mean that it's a McDojo, or is that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, we will examine that next episode. Exactly. So with that said, I'd like to thank you all for tuning in, and keep your kicks above the belt and below the face. Check out the guys over at Eclectic Media Project. They bring you podcasts such as Musically Challenged. Whose podcast is it anyway? Want to hear something interesting? And their newest podcast, page 3.14 News. Check them out on Podbean and iTunes at Eclectic Media Project. On their website at www.eclecticmediaproject.com. Check them out as they are the home with a little something for almost everyone. been listening to a program from the Point of Insanity Network. Visit us at poigamestudio.podbean.com for more shows. Follow us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at POI Game Studio.